Hi, I'm Esther Yunji Kang. And I'm Susie On. Welcome to Shoes Off, a Sexy Asians podcast. It is the last episode of the season. Aww. And we've got a good one for you today. They've all been good, but several of you have sent voice memos and emails asking us to interview this person today. Mm-hmm. That's right. Our sexy Asian guest is the John Cho. The John Cho. So, you know, he doesn't really need an introduction. No, he doesn't. But just in case, you know him from Harold and Kumar, Star Trek Beyond, Searching, and so much more. He's kind of an OG sexy Asian. But before we get to him, since it is our last episode of the first season, we're going to do something that's a little scary for us. Um, All this season, you've heard us ask our guests when they first considered themselves a sexy Asian. Mm -hmm. And a couple of episodes back, Atsuko Okatsuka said, Wow, yeah, such a scary question. And she is absolutely right. So... You know, it's only fair that we ask each other that question. Is it? Is it only fair? I mean, we have to. We have to. So, Esther, I'm gonna, I'm oh gonna god. make you go first. Oh god. When did you think I'm a sexy Asian? I'm gonna take a deep breath. <laughs> well, I always called my friends sexy. Like just whenever they did anything mm-hmm. cool with their careers or life or whatever, or just wore cute outfits. But then when you put that question to me, like I start like convulsing because I, I I feel very uncomfortable and weird around this topic yeah. and question. In one of the earlier episodes, Alexander Hodge, Asian Bay, he said that there were like glimpses or moments yeah. growing up or when he was younger. And I think that's been true for me too. But sort of more recently, it's, it's about having supportive and loving people around you, yeah. kind of like what Atsuko Akatsuka talked about. So for me, that's, you know, my my husband and my friends. Mm -hmm. I also feel like aging, like you just kind of don't care. So in some ways, I don't know. Is that sexy to not care about being sexy? I guess. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Susie, how about you? Well, you know, I feel like for me, it's sort of like whiplash in a way. Mm. You know, I mean, growing up, I was made fun of for Asian features. So like being called flat face, you know, Mm. I had like a little button nose and like no like nose bridge or like kids asking me if like I'm literally able to see Jeez. because I have small eyes. What the fuck? But then there's like a sudden switch, you know, when you become a teenager and then people fetishize you. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that is mm-hmm. true for a lot of Asian women. So it's like either being belittled or made an object. And I don't know if there was really a definitive turning point. Mm. Maybe it was more gradual, but like coming to that realization that like, I don't need to care about that and Mm. it just had less power and it allowed me to then be confident in myself and who I am Mm. and that I guess is sexy oh yeah yeah confidence is a big part of being sexy well we are also going to put this question to our producer Stephanie Kim that's a name you've heard in in the credits she is the one who makes this show great I mean she does all the Mm -hmm. things and does them all so well yes Stephanie, hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. (laughs) When did you think you were a sexy Asian? So growing up, I always felt like I was super awkward, Mm. super, super awkward. I mumbled a lot. I didn't really sit up straight or stand up straight. Mm. And I just felt just really awkward in who I was. But it was working on this show, not to be cheesy, but really like working on this show, 
seeing all these different people from different backgrounds doing different things Mm. with different traits that they saw sexy in themselves that made me think, oh, like, yeah, maybe that's something that I can own and Mm. define and see as sexy for myself. Mm. I love that. And, you know, what really, really made me feel sexy is when Alexander Hodge, (laughs) Asian Bay on HBO's Insecure said. Can I say one more thing? Yes. Yes. Thank you, Stephanie. Like, Ugh. I fainted. We all fainted. <laughs> His sexiness somehow, like, transferred over from off the screen to me, who is A residual not sexiness. Yeah, we all, yes. jo- we all joke that we got pregnant as soon as we taped that episode. But, you know, Stephanie, I think Domi, too, like, she, when we asked her that question, that's when she sort of started considering it. And so it sounds like this podcast played a, a role in, in some of that. That's right. We uh, are changing lives. Changing lives. Basically. <laughs> One at a time here. (laughs) Well, we don't break from format in this episode. We put that same question to John Cho. He talks about feeling dismissed as an Asian man, refusing to play stereotypical roles, and about his young adult novel set during the L.A. riots. That's coming up after the break. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Well, we've looked up to today's sexy Asian guest for years. He's been sexy for so long. And it felt like a big win for me seeing him and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Oh, dude, I don't know about you, but I'm fucking hungry as balls. Yeah, no shit, dude. Let's eat. What about KFC? Yeah. No, no, no. We've been there too many times. I want the perfect food. Are you hungry? Then come to White Castle and try our slider special. Finally, a raunchy comedy where the Asian guys are the lead and not the butt of the joke. Right. And throughout his career, he's also taken stances against Hollywood stereotypes and tropes about Asians. Plus, he wrote a book during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, he's a big deal, okay? Mm -hmm. But self-aware and very funny. And of course... Very handsome. Very handsome. John Cho, welcome to Shoes Off, a sexy Asians podcast. Woo! Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I'm on despite the title, not because <laughs> of. John, when did you realize you were sexy? <laughs> Is this serious? Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't have an answer to that. Oh, come uh, on. I'll let you know. I'll let you know when it happens. Well, why don't you have an answer for that? Yeah. I don't know if it's sexy or something you declare oneself. Okay, well, Um, you may not declare it, right? But People Magazine has declared you sexy twice. Were they wrong? Listen, they they have their scientists, uh, so I'll (laughs) believe them. Okay, so John, then, um, what did you think when your publicist brought up our interview request for the Sexy Asians podcast? Um, I thought it was a cheeky title. I, you know, the last few years I have made a concerted effort to talk to Asian people in media. And, you know, going back to the beginning of my career eons ago, uh, you know, when, when I first started doing press junkets, there weren't a whole lot of Asian journalists mm-hmm. at those things that coincided with me noticing that I was talking about race 
all the time, mm-hmm. even when the project wasn't explicitly about it. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I've been talking about with white journalists mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And I've decided that I would take a proactive stance and seek out Asian American people in media to talk with. And so if we're having these conversations about issues that I've been kind of felt like more of an educator in some ways to a white population about being Asian American, I think it's maybe perhaps more educational and certainly more interesting for me to talk about these issues with Asian Americans. And so that that's where that started. So I'm in a place where I'm seeking that out because mm. I think it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, well, to that point, do you think it is hard for Asian men to claim themselves as sexy and, and you know, puff up your chest and, and say that? Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I'm probably past the age where I sort of think about myself in those terms. But yes, it's startling to realize, and you realize it very young, you know, you can realize it at five years old, Mm. that uh, people that look like you are not desirable. And, you know, I've seen echoes of that even with my own uh, children and Mm -hmm. people at school that they go to school with. And it's dismaying to see how early those messages uh, come and how clear it is. And it's not just what Asian boys receive about themselves. Mm. It's how others are seen as well that Mm. don't look like them, Mm. how they are understood by culture Mm -hmm. in that way. And and their absence is as loud a message as the other way. Mm. You know, I immigrated when I was uh, six to the United States and very soon thereafter, I do recall it's one of my earliest memories. I recall actually explicitly thinking to myself, oh, I get it. I think my life path would be a lot easier if I were white. Mm. And I remember thinking that I must have been seven years old Mm. or six. But I remember articulating that for myself, understanding it that early. Yeah. So that's part of the bigger messages you're receiving, uh, your sexuality. That That's not something I articulated when I was young, mm. dis- but it kind of folded into other issues of desirability and foreignness and all that stuff. John, you have two kids, and you've been doing some like dadish roles in movies like Searching and Don't Make Me Go, and even the animated film Over the Moon... Looks like the moon has decided to come out for us after all. What do you think Jade Rabbit's making tonight? Moonlight. (laughs) (laughs) You laugh just like your mama. Are these roles that appeal to you now at this stage in your life? Or is it just, you know, on a project-by-project basis? Uh, Probably a blend of both, but... For one, I just wanted to make something that my kids might watch Mm. me in. I mean, I've been in a lot of things that they can't see. (laughs) Um, So that was one motivating factor. And two, I hadn't seen a whole lot of Asian representations in that arena, Mm. in in kids' entertainment. And that's definitely changing, and it has been. So I just wanted to to participate in that Mm. because... it's much more impactful to see people that look like you when you're young rather than when you're older yeah. and the the world has ossified. 
for you. So it was really cool to to have that opportunity in front of me. And that's that's what drove me to do it. That makes sense. You've been in the public eye for a few decades now, and you've previously said that we don't talk about fame enough and some of the harmful effects of it. What would you say fame has done to you? I want to make clear it's not something I'm complaining about mm. because but that's such a bad look. I guess because fame has been kind of the realm of the elite, it has been a kind of members-only discussion. And now that it's widely available to literally everyone in the world with an iPhone, I think it's worthwhile to discuss what that does mm. to a person's brain, yeah. to your life. It is something that if if it happens to you, it changes almost every single relationship in your life. Yeah. It is a curious feeling to move through the world in this way. You don't know anyone and they know who you are, mm. which seems on the face of it special or good or desirable, mm. but it is a power imbalance. Everyone else essentially is walking in a bright room and you're walking in a dark room. Mm. So they can see you, you can't see them. Right. That's something that is forever altered when that happens. Mm. You know, obviously I'm living with the fruits of that condition, mm -hmm. but it's not without its pitfalls. And so mm -hmm. I, I just think that um, we should be talking about mm -hmm. it, yeah. especially yeah. as kids are, are seeking it in right. such great numbers. Yeah. On the other end of that, your fame has meant a lot to a lot of Asian Americans. And I wonder, do you feel a certain pressure to keep up the representation in that way? Do you have to consider fame in a different way when you're looking through that type of lens? Hmm. That's interesting. You know, I was talking to my kid about there used to be a uh, a belief that no one could run a mile under four minutes. They thought it was physically impossible. And then a person did it. And it was it was a thunderous event. And then other people started to do it. Mm. Like you literally have to witness the impossible being done before you can dream mm. about yourself doing it. So I think to that extent, if there are people who want to be in the arts or Asian American kids who want to do what I'm doing and they know about me, I think that's a good thing and, and I'm glad of it. And I guess I, I feel happy that I'm that instrument. <laughs> you have talked about in the past uh, the experience of Asian men feeling kind of dismissed by society for various reasons. And this is kind of a vivid description you use, like how many of them walk around with a fist in their pocket when are moments where you felt like that? Oh, mostly when I was young and had all the the chemistry going on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think to this day, I struggle with that. If I put on a mask and go out there, I'm just another Asian guy. And the protection afforded to me by my recognizability is gone. Mm. And in my later life, I'm finding that there's a lot of like neighborhood politics, you know, like I'm 
I live in a mostly, well, now it's mostly white. It wasn't when we moved in, but there's a gaze that's, who are you? Are you one of us or are you mm. from outside? Mm. Which is generally color-based. Even now I'm still dealing with that, you know, but certainly when I was young, the dismissal of, you framed it in terms of desirability for Asian men. There's also whether, I think that's a subset of just not being a real person, Mm -hmm. you know, and that has many different permutations, you know, Um, and it can be, we can push you around. You're not here, Mm. you know. I think I took an informal survey once of my Asian male friends. I said, has this happened to you? Are you in line at the grocery store and someone walks in front of you and literally doesn't see you? Mm. And they're like, yeah. Mm. And it's that kind of mundane stuff. I think I'm generally asked about bigger moments. You know, you say Asian male representation in sex scenes and movies or romantic leads, Mm. but it's those small moments that are actually probably more... Mm impactful for me or and more memorable mm. and more hurtful mm. a person right in front of you who's right. treating you as if you literally don't exist it can be startling i mean we talk about the asian violence that's happening right now mm-hmm. that con- that continues unabated and it's been framed with the words asian hate and i said i completely appreciate this movement and i'm also not sure whether it is hatred mm. It is denying our humanity because how could you just run up to a 65-year-old man, punch him in the face and walk away? That man must not be a man to you. Mm. That man must be a bush, a rock, Mm -hmm. a pine cone to you, Mm. an empty can that you can kick down the street. It's not a thing with a soul. It's not not an organism. It's it's just a thing. And I think that is essentially our lot that we're trying to come out of, Mm. not really being seen as actual people. Mm. And I think from there you get, then you can over-sexualize Asian women. You can under-sexualize Asian men because they're not people to begin with. And I I know that people literally don't think that, but there is something there. Mm -hmm. I don't quite know how to to decipher it, but Mm -hmm. it's it's in that area. It feels like it's the same core problem that's Mm -hmm. reflecting in different ways. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with that? How do you process that? You know, does that move you to action? I go on podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) That's a legitimate way these Um, days. (laughs) I don't know how to do any more than I'm doing Mm. while retaining my sanity. I think if you look at the, you know, the elderly in Monterey Park and the the elderly in Queens, I'm experiencing a micro fraction of of what they they went through. Or even my father and mother who were treated like... um, you know, idiots because mm-hmm. they spoke English with an accent mm-hmm. and going through the world like that. Yeah. I have my work, I have my family, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. all anyone has really. And 
I've often spoke of when I first met Asian Americans from Hawaii, and I kind of met them through acting. They walked differently because mm. they grew up as yeah. a majority, mm. and mm -hmm. I, I love them. I love the way they move through the world, even here in the mainland, and. They kind of remind me of my parents' generation in that I've I've said before that like you can't insult my father and mm -hmm. call him a name or a chink or something like that. It doesn't it bounces off of him because he grew up in Korea. He knows yeah. who he is. Yeah. So you can insult him. It's not it's not gonna hurt him. It hurt me, his son, because I grew up in America. So that pierces me, but he it doesn't do anything to him. Mm. I mean, I feel like this is kind of stuff that you touch on with uh, your book, Troublemaker, which came out last March. And it's about a Korean-American boy named Jordan trying to get to his dad during the L.A. riots following the Rodney King verdict. How did you approach writing about race for a younger audience? Let me just, before I move on, I should credit my co-author, Sarah mm -hmm. Souk, who, you know, when I first pitched this story, because it was going to be a different book, but when I pitched this story... I knew I was going to need someone to help me. She had written for that age range before. And so she was exceptionally critical in navigating what ideas were appropriate, mm -hmm. what we felt mm -hmm. like they could handle. But in general, I started at a place of honesty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, structurally, one of the things that I wanted to do is like that event has always been depicted in uh, kind of group terms, mm, yeah. Koreans yep, yep. versus African-Americans. Mm -hmm. The imagery at the time was en masse, mm -hmm. large crowds of people. Yeah. And as I thought through this idea, I said, I, I want to be extremely myopic. Mm. And I think that may help us get through some of these issues. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to be talking about all Koreans. Right. I was only talking about mostly one Korean yeah. boy and one family, his family. And then everyone he met was going to be a single person and they were going to have one-on-one -on -one interactions. And whatever happened in that what if was okay by me, even if they weren't things that I might necessarily approve of. Mm. But if I felt that they were honest, I thought it was okay. It was um, part of the difficulty in discussing race is talking about an entire group of people mm -hmm. as though they share the same characteristics. Mm -hmm. And and it's even a problem amongst Asian Americans for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of, mm -hmm. we happen to be probably the most diverse racial group in the United States in terms of where we come from, what kind of cultures we come from. And mm -hmm. so... I enjoy exploring all Asian cultures. I don't like lumping them together. Mm. You've called this a love story between his boy and his father. And it was riveting for me to read from beginning to end. Hey, um, thanks for reading that. Oh, my gosh. It was, I really appreciate okay, it. It was my first YA novel. Um, there were just some endings of chapters where I was like, what? And like I would have to go do bedtime with my kid. And I'd be like, I don't want to stop reading. So it was really good. And Thank in you. the end, you pay um, tribute to your dad. And it felt to me like, man, he really loves his dad and like really values his opinion. 
But was there ever a time in your relationship where it resembled the one between Jordan and his dad in the book? Sure. I had some very difficult teen years where I was, you know, finding the boundaries and trying to define who I was. And yeah, I was got into mischief. Uh, uh, I was just recently telling the story. I mean, somebody asked me, it was the first time I drove a car. And I said, I was 14 and I got arrested um, because I took my dad's car out for a joyride <laughs> while they were asleep. Oh. And, um, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I was pushing it and we had a version of, of the big fight. I, I don't know whether he remembers it, but <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember what it was about, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I just remember thinking, my God, that was the worst. Mm. Like my dad could maybe punch me right now in the <laughs> face. Like it was bad. And it's funny. I don't remember what it was about. Yeah. Are you close with them still? Yeah, I'm close to both my parents, I would say. Mm. I mean, um, I call them for their perspective on lots of things. Mm. I say I call for their perspective rather than call for their advice because it's sort of like I want to know what they're thinking and yeah. then... It's like control group, you know, I go, I know who you are. <laughs> yeah. I know what, and I know you would do this. Mm. Now, what do I do? Mm. So they're definitely a resource. We love each other and say so. So, yeah, I guess we're close. After the break, John Cho explains why he considers Harold and Kumar an Asian-American film. And he wonders what his career would look like if he were starting out today. Stay with us. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. John, I want to bring it back to your career. The 90s were a weird time in Hollywood. Uh, My completely unprofessional assessment is that studios put Asians in movies in, in whatever role to have some appearance that the studio was being diverse. But then a lot of the time the role was a joke or very stereotypical. But you refused to play into those stereotypes. Can you tell us about some of those times? I suppose I'll take a a second here to educate your younger listeners. I mean, (laughs) it was like, it was not that long ago in my head. And chronologically, it's not a million years ago, but... It was unfathomable, unfathomable (laughs) to think of having a career in movies Mm -hmm. and in television. Like you could think of a decent career, like small parts here and there. There was Mako, you know, Mm -hmm. who who had an Academy Award nomination. Mm -hmm. There were some exceptions, historical exceptions. George Takei. What is this, Mr. Sulu? Mr. Spock has orders to kill you, Captain. He will succeed. Apparently. And even when I was younger, there was Lucy Liu. Your methodologies are antiquated and weak. Your procedures of approval ensure that only the least radical ideas are rewarded. Meanwhile, your competition is innovating. But yeah, um... It often seemed like the parts were written, you existed solely on screen to denigrate Asians. Mm. It was a weird trick where you were asked 
to participate in a thing that would denigrate your own people. Cooperate and maybe you'll have a career or another job coming down the pike. So that was sort of the implicit and often explicit bargain. I'm I'm only now trying, you know, kind of unpacking mm-hmm. how crazy that was. Yeah. But we all accepted it as the terms. Mm-hmm. But when I was young, I was, I just thought that it wasn't worth it. Because I had been a kid who watched yeah. those depictions and mm-hmm. felt personally slighted and the money was not great for working a day. Mm. It was great for a day, but it wasn't like they were offering you a million bucks. <laughs> so like, I just felt like ah, I could do some other kind of work for the money. Mm. I always had the idea, even back then, I said, well, geez, let's say there's this really horrible role. What if we all agreed as Asian American actors to say no? Mm. What if we all refused? What mm-hmm. would happen then? And I would float this idea out. <laughs> no traction on that. But, <laughs> but I thought, well, well, how impactful would it be if we all said no? Yeah. What if they called 150 Asian American mm. actors and they all said no, and they got mm. 150 no's from people who had no credits? Right. Yeah. They would have to say, holy shit, maybe mm. we're doing something terrible. Mm. Maybe they would have to be confronted with how awful the bargain they were offering was, Mm. you know, but that's a a level of collective action. That's, you know, probably impossible, but that's the idea I had Mm. when I was, when I was young and full of uh, piss and vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, did Harold and Kumar feel subversive at the time when you accepted the role? Yes. um, I mean, it was kind of like Harold was, in a way, it started with a stereotype and then turned the sock inside out. You know, he was the quiet Asian guy in the office. So that it felt like it was trying definitely to play with stereotypes and play with other ethnic stereotypes as well. Mm-hmm. It was trying to be taboo all the time. Being taboo from an Asian American's protagonist's point of view felt cool. Yeah. It felt good. I I like to call that an Asian American film, even though mm. a lot of people don't recognize mm. it as such. But I I um, like a very broad definition of what is Asian American and what is Asian yeah. American art. Yeah. And I think typically people like to think of even ourselves. We Asian Americans, I think, think of Asian American stories as being intergenerational conflict stories. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I like to broaden that out as much as possible. I think that that will yield benefits in years to come if we consciously broaden that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you call it or consider it an Asian American film. I do. And I think maybe one specific part in the movie kind of clinched it for me. And it's when like the extreme bullies say to your character, better luck tomorrow (laughs) in reference Mm. to better luck tomorrow and for me it felt like okay they get it like they are (laughs) making this reference and yeah it just felt like all right this is a different kind of movie where you get to see the asian american characters take the lead and they're making the jokes and yes you you might see like some of the stereotypical stuff but like it's not uh the forced accents and things like that so that's what i needed at Mm -hmm. that time Mm -hmm. in my life sure no well thanks i mean this is behind the curtain stuff but the writers 
John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, who, by the way, um, are two of the creators of mm-hmm. Cobra Kai, they had this idea about their friend Harold yeah. Lee, yeah. Um, and yeah. they wanted to do that. So it, it was always race conscious and race specific. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time to write the script, so I think it was first of all, it was a lot of the stuff was uh, happening to Harold. Yeah. Uh, and they saw that they they saw that it was funny. They, mm-hmm. the, 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 this is this is good comedy material, but then also they were afraid that it would once they sold the script that it would be two white guys mm-hmm. eventually right. playing the roles. So I think that they made an effort to write in as much race specific stuff yeah. as they could so that it would discourage uh, someone from changing the ethnicity of the of the two guys. Kumar, shut up. That's not the kind of tone you want to use in a cop that could bust your ass. Bust my ass? Yeah, Kumar. Bust your ass. <laughs> what kind of name is that anyhow, huh? Kumar. What is that, like five O's or two U's? No, it's actually one U. Yeah, bullshit. They're having a good old American names like Dave or Jim, you know? Harold. Yeah, we love that movie. I mean, I recently did a marathon, a Harold and Kumar marathon for all Oh, my God. <laughs> and I did wonder if your dad had seen them. Uh, yes, uh, they've seen them all. No. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. What, what do your parents think of it? I don't know. Um, I think uh, I, they're just happy for me that I've worked. Uh, I think it was... Any, anything that pays the gas bill is, is all right by them. <laughs> well, in 2016, writer William Yu created the viral social media campaign starring John Cho, and he photoshopped you into major movie posters uh, in place of the lead actor who was usually white. Honestly, though, you know, I saw you then and I see you now in everything. What is a leading role that you really wanted but didn't get? <laughs> to me, the, it's a it's a bigger what if is what's going to happen. The business has changed uh, significantly for Asian Americans in the last uh, ten years, mm-hmm. and I'm already going. Wow, what if I had started right now? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. What uh, what would have been available yeah. to me? However, you know, it is what it is, and I take some solace in in knowing that Harold and Kumar had to come, and yes. people had to get yeah. used to stuff like that. Yes. And, seeing my mug and one thing has to happen before the other and yeah. and your place is your place. But yeah, I'm already kind of going, wow. Mm. That to me is the bigger question than what could I have? I don't think at all about what, what could I have done mm. back then? Yeah. yeah. I, I think now about like, oh, geez, what if I, you know, graduated today from college and, and mm. we're entering the field? What would my opportunities be? It's not just the measurables, the external measurables like fame or or money or credits, but the lack of opportunities is going to stunt your growth in your field. Mm. And I did not know how to act, even though I had a career in acting Mm. for many years. That sounds like a self-deprecating thing, but what I mean by that is like, I'll go back, like when I started, my mentors, the, the Asian American actors of the generation previous to mine, you know, their mentality was, you get to do plays, that's for you. And when you come on a set, that's not for you. Mm. You're playing the nurse for the day, you're playing the judge, you're playing the flower delivery guy, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, the Chinese food delivery guy, Mm -hmm. 
and you do what you need to do and you hit your mark and say your line and get out and get a check. Mm. And it was really pleasing the director and the producers and getting out and not wasting anybody's time, Mm. which is the job and the fate of being a day player Mm. versus a star of a project. Mm. Asian Americans tend to stay in that phase of your career for much, much longer than white actors. Mm. That's why you never hear uh, an Asian American say, I was discovered when. Mm. I've never heard one. Mm. Uh, I've never heard a discovery story from Asian Americans. We're not discovered. We work and get in there, Mm -hmm. but none of us are discovered Mm. as such. Or I haven't heard that story. Internally, I felt that I stayed in that mode for so long Mm. because one, because it was my that phase of my career is artificially lengthened, but also because that mentality was so stuck in my head. I was approaching my work, trying to achieve the the day's goals really fast and efficiently. And I wasn't trying to grow as an artist. I wasn't trying to be better Mm. than I was the last time. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like it arrested my growth. Mm -hmm. And one beautiful thing is I've, worked with a few notable Asian American actors who are younger than me. And I I wasn't sure how much things were changing because journalists very often ask me that. Where do you think this is all going? Mostly white journalists. And and I resented the question Mm. because I there is a kind of tendency in American narrative formation to want to declare things over. Obama gets elected and (laughs) That racism is at its terminus. And maybe it's a kind of naive optimism, but wanting to see think the problem is solved and kind of close the file on things. But more than any external things, what I'm encouraged by is uh, the kind of change in the attitudes of Asian American actors that I've worked with. Mm. They're so much more self-possessed and wanting to get something out of the work other than pleasing the people who hired them, which is very healthy to say, I'm also here as an artist. I want to participate. I want to collaborate. I want to use all of me and I want to contribute in a very significant and deep way rather than doing what you jotted down on the page and getting out of here. And so when I see that approach to the work, I'm very, very optimistic for what's to come. Because from that, it's not just great performances, but you're going to get a different kind of community and people who are going to go on to write and direct different things Mm -hmm. and probably imagine stories that we cannot imagine, but that I would never have been able to imagine under the umbrella of Asian American. You know, I think you've said many times, like, Whenever you wrap a project, you say, you know, I think this is going to be my last job. We think you're going to be working forever if you want to. But let's just say this is it for you. Would you be happy with what you've accomplished? Uh, Yes. No, I mean, (laughs) you know, I, I feel like I'm just getting started with performances that I'm like really putting myself into. Mm. Like, I feel like this isn't self-deprecation, I promise you, mm-hmm. but I, I do feel like I'm just starting to learn how to act mm-hmm. for real. And I'm getting more out of it than I did in the first part of my career. And because I'm getting more out of it, I think I'm giving more. 
And so I have no regrets mm-hmm. or I'm certainly proud of what, what I've done so far. So yes, that's the yes part. And mm-hmm. the no part is I, I just feel like I'm getting, getting warm now. And mm-hmm. um, so if it did end today, that would be a bummer because I'm enjoying it more than I used to. <laughs> Well, um, John, before we wrap, we want to play a game we like to call Extra Credit, and it's where we ask you rapid-fire questions about random things. You're ready. Hmm. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to know all the answers yes. to these. Uh, first one, what's your favorite podcast? Oh, this one. <laughs> that wasn't a fishing one, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll go through some podcasts that I like. Yeah, sure. Normal Gossip. Have you heard that? Ooh. It's a fascinating podcast. Okay. Because I, I dislike hearing gossip, but I like hearing <laughs> gossip where I don't know anyone. Oh, okay. So it's just funny stories. And then, uh, have you heard Articles of Interest? Mm. Oh, it's a very fascinating fashion podcast. Mm. I like the rewatchables, which is just talking about movies. That's just a few off the top of my head. All right. First Asian celebrity crush. Probably the strongest early one, Joan Chen in um, Last Emperor. Ooh. Ooh, that's a yeah. good one. Foxy Town. Foxy Town. <laughs> All right. Most crucial person on the USS Enterprise. Well, I'd, I'd like to say uh, Sulu. He's got to... <laughs> Duh. Yeah. They got to get to where they're going. Right. <laughs> but that Spock is pretty handy. It's he's, true. He's a jack of all trades. It's true. Moral decisions, uh, science <laughs> officer. There's a lot going on with it. There's a lot going on. Okay, who is your first phone call when you get a part? Aside from my wife, uh, there are two Korean guys. This isn't quite it, but uh, I call them about parts all the mm, time. Great. Harold. Yeah. Oh, Harold. Yeah, Harold. And um, James Kim, who is uh, a guy I went to high school with. Mm, one of a million James Kims. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> But he's the best one. He's the best one. Um, can you describe... No, he's not. He's not? Ooh. No. Oh, dang. We didn't say it, you did. All he's, right. Uh, middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. Describe an audition that you bombed. Oh, so many. Um, so many. The hardest auditions for me were office auditions. And by that, I mean... I started acting in theater, so you kind of get used to this idea of like... In the movies, they got the big room and and you come in and there's four stern people <laughs> at a table. And uh, when I started auditioning for film and TV, sometimes you found yourself in like this very small office with a casting director. She's sitting at a desk and you're at the in a chair two feet from her. And then you would have to do this like dying scene <laughs> or, you know, be scared of the... Uh, the alien that's about to shoot a laser beam through you and scream. Uh, those, uh, I was just always bombing. And then there's these commercial auditions, and I, I never booked a single one of these. Mm-hmm. Went on a hundred of these auditions where you're auditioning to be uh, in a Doritos commercial, and you're just a young, cool person at a party, and so you'd have to dance. Just dance, eating Doritos. No lines, you're just dancing. <laughs> Any dancing, freeform dancing situation is uh, <laughs> is bad. Uh, shoes on <laughs> or off in the house? Off. Although I've become a slippers man. Well, that, uh, that's, I don't know whether uh, that's that acceptable. Counts. Yeah, that's still shoes off. <laughs> 
Well, that's actor and author John Cho. You can see him in the new season of The After Party on Apple TV Plus in April. He's also starring in the upcoming horror film They Listen, coming out this summer. And don't forget to add his young adult book, Troublemaker, to your reading list. John, thank you so, so much for helping us close out our first season of Shoes Off. Thank you. Take care. Shoes Off is a production of WBEZ Chicago. This episode was produced by Esther Yunji Kang, Stephanie Kim, and me, Suzy Ahn. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Our special thanks to Chicago Public Media's Chief Content Officer, Tracy Brown, and former Managing Director of Content Development, Kevin Dawson. And to every sexy Asian guest who helped make the first season of Shoes Off so much fun. We've loved every moment of making this podcast. And here's what a few of you had to say. Hi, Shoes Off. This is Monica from Broomfield, Colorado. I just wanted to let you know how much I've been enjoying all of these episodes. And I especially love how you're showcasing the diversity of Asian American experiences and talent. I love that we're hearing from actors and comedians and animators and musicians. It's amazing to think about how many Asian Americans are actually impacting so many different industries today. Hi, this is Andy. I just wanted to drop a note and say I loved your episode with Atsuko. Not only was it so cool to see a different side of her than what came out in her HBO special, but her message that it takes 10 years to find your voice in something you love was incredibly insightful. This is Angela from Fullerton, California. What I like about Shoes Off is that it's fun. I enjoy hearing the hosts and the guests and they are so entertaining and authentic. And it's just an easy listen that makes me smile every time. Hello, this is John from Chicago. I really enjoyed every single episode of this podcast. Everyone had such unique stories, but what was really cool was seeing a part of myself in each one of them. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to reflect on my own story through these wonderful guests and interviews. Thanks to all of you who have listened and come along for the ride. I'm Esther Yunji Kang. And I'm Suzy Ahn. Stay sexy. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.